Well, we are on to week four of our blessed series, and I love series like this because they're so practical. It's like each week you get something that you can take home and actually put to use in your life, and that's that's what I love about this series, but also it's just looking at Jesus' life and saying, that's how Jesus did it, that's how I'm going to try and do it, <laughs> and you know, as we are to be imitators of Christ Jesus. As Christ followers, we're supposed to do as he does. And that's what this whole series is about. But again, this is week four of Bless. And this is probably the worst way of starting off a message like this. But um, what's your favorite restaurants? You know, I know lots of you guys like Birch's in town, but just shout them out. If you've got a favorite restaurant anywhere from like St. John all the way to St. Andrews or St. Stephen, what's some favorite restaurants? Ross Mount. That sounds good. Who else? Tons, tons, does, that's not one restaurant, I need a name. Tondi's, yeah. Is that East Indian food? Nice. I love the Chandler Room. See, there's places, like, I've only been here a year and a half or so, I haven't eaten at a lot of these places yet, so I got, I got some work to do. You, should, you guys should message me these restaurants that are good, and then I can surprise Caitlin. She's, I don't know if she's watching right now, she might be driving, so. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, all of these things are good. But eating is a popular topic, and it's something that we not only need to do, but we very much enjoy doing it, right? Most of us enjoy eating food of some sort. And today we're jumping into the third practice of the Blessed series, and it is my favorite one, which is eat. <laughs> Two weeks ago we did begin with prayer. Last week was lesson, today is eat. So hopefully you guys got some of those treats from out in the lobby before church and you're not starving right now because we're going to be talking about food for the next 25 minutes or so. <laughs> but before we do, why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. Once again, we just come to you with thankful hearts. We're thankful for the life that you modeled. We're thankful for, for giving us your word that we can look to, that we can see how you lived your life and see what it is to emulate you in every aspect of our lives, Jesus. So God, we pray that as, you get, as we get into your word today, that you'd be speaking through it, that we would still our own voices and our own thoughts, Jesus, and just focus in on you. And that even as I'm, even as this is a message that I've prepared, Jesus, I just pray that you would be speaking in to individuals in your own way, Jesus, and that my words wouldn't be getting in the way of your words, Jesus. So God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the life you modeled, Jesus, and we just bless this message in your name. Amen. All right, so our culture loves food. You know, you go anywhere and there is food, there's restaurants, you go to the corner store, it's almost all food in corner stores, right? Like everywhere we turn, there is food. Most of the holidays, you know, of the year, like Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, they're all food holidays, right? We wear our stretchy pants, we might cook up a turkey or something, and we get ready to eat. It's like, I call Christmas an eating marathon. It starts like Christmas Eve, and it carries right on through past Boxing Day, and it's an eating marathon. You got to pace yourself, but you got to kind of warm up to it at the same time, so that when you get to like the, the big feast on Christmas Day dinner, that's like, that's the big one. You got to have worked your way up to that. You can't go in cold turkey, or you won't eat enough turkey, okay? But... Lots of our holidays revolve around, you know, we had the Super Bowls last week, 
you know, a lot of people watch the Super Bowl, but it's almost more about the food you're eating than it is about the Super Bowl, right? Or, you know, uh, we even have the Food Network, right, on TV, where we can watch food all day long in front of us. And then we wonder why our pantries are empty afterwards, and it's because we keep making trips back and forth getting snacks, because it's making us hungry. You know, and even when we go on things like vacations, that's usually probably one of the first things we think of when we go apply a vacation is, where are we going to eat? Where are we packing for snacks? Where are our stops for food all along the way? Because we know we're going to get hungry, and usually when we're on vacation, we like to treat ourselves to some of those extra nice things. Uh, last weekend, Kate and myself, we went to Halifax for a couple of days for a late anniversary trip because when we planned it the first time, there was a winter storm and it wasn't looking the best to go to Halifax. But, uh, you know, the place that we really wanted to go was the Keg Steakhouse. Has anyone ever eaten at the Keg? Yeah, so good. Well, back in Prince George, we had a Keg there as well, and that was like... Out of all of our anniversaries, we probably went there the most. Like, it was a very consistent place for us to go. So we had a little slice of home there for a moment. And, yeah, I had a really big steak, and it was fantastic. Medium rare. That's how I roll. I love it. Uh, but anyways, I'm getting myself hungry here, and i got to get through this message. On a side confession, we also went to Ikea. And, you know, there, I watched this video on how Ikea came to be, and it's hilarious but they talk about the meatballs there a lot in the video. And I was like, I got to try these meatballs. Once is enough. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. One time with Ikea's meatballs was enough. They weren't terrible, but they definitely weren't great. So we'll just leave it at that. But just as a refresher, we are going through five blessed practices in this series. And bless is, it stands for begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share. And we are on the third one of those, eat today. And all of these are drawn out of the life of Jesus and things he modeled for us. These last couple of weeks, we saw how Jesus modeled beginning with prayer. You know, when he went to start his ministry, he went away and he prayed. Anytime he went to step out to do something new, we see him over and over again, stepping aside, getting in prayer, hearing from God the Father, and then moving forward again into what he was going to do. You know, we also see um, how he modeled listening to people. You know, Caitlin talked about that last week, where, you know, there was a crippled man, and Jesus looked at him and said, what do you want me to do for you, <laughs> right? The guy's crippled. Obviously, he probably wants to be healed, but Jesus stopped to listen. So powerful for us to, to model that as well, where we stop and we actually ask those questions. How can I help you? What, what are your needs? What, how can I support you today? How can I pray for you even? And today we're going to be seeing how, model, how Jesus modeled eating and how important eating actually is for us. And again, all of these things are helping us understand even our own mission and vision statement of Family Worship Center even better, which is we exist to model the life and teachings of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. We exist to model the life and teachings of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. So keeping that mission and vision statement in mind, let's look at some examples of Jesus' ministry where he lived, lived this out and mixed food with mission. So in John 2, 1 to 10, this is the, Jesus' first miracle, and it's where Jesus turned water into wine. 
and they're at a wedding feast. You know, Jesus was at the party, and, you know, even though Jesus was at the party, it was almost more like Jesus brought the party because he turned water to wine there, but this was the start of Jesus' public ministry and his first miracle that he performed you know, in front of people, was turning water to wine. It was at a party. It was where there was food. There was people gathering and hanging out and spending time together celebrating this couple's wedding. And I find it interesting that his first miracle was around a feast. And lots of us are familiar with Jesus feeding the 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves of bread and fish. This is recorded in all four Gospels, so I think it's worth paying attention to that, that this is something that's in all four Gospels. And it's found in Matthew 14, 13 to 21, Mark 6, 32 to 44, Luke 9, 12 to 17, and John 6, 1 to 15. But Jesus had been teaching people all day long, right? He was probably exhausted, probably tired, you know, healings, you name it. Jesus was there with the people. And instead of just sending them on their way when the disciples brought up that going, hey, we're in the middle of nowhere and... McDonald's is a long ways away, right? Like, there's no food to be had here, so we need to send the people home so that they can go get some food. And Jesus was like, why? What food do we have here? Bring it forward. Five loaves, two fish, right? Not a lot of food for 5,000 men plus all the women and children that were there. But the thing was is that Jesus saw past the limitations of the natural in that moment. And he recognized he'd been teaching all day. Jesus was probably tired, yes, but there's something powerful when we eat together. So Jesus performed a miracle and multiplied those five loaves of bread and the two fish to feed all of the people that were there, even to the point where there was 12 baskets of leftover food after they were done distributing it all. That's a miracle and a half. And the really funny thing to me is that even as Jesus was doing this, he didn't just multiply all the food into one big mountain of a pile of food and go, all right, now just distribute it. It was in the disciples' hands, right? The five loaves of bread and the two fish were split up between the 12 disciples to go and start distributing to all the people. So as they're distributing the food, it's multiplying, right? It's amazing. Imagine the conversations, and this is where my brain went to today. Imagine the conversations that would have been taking place where people's faith would just be continuing to grow by having that extra time to sit together after hearing all of Jesus' teachings, after seeing Jesus perform miracles and all kinds of stuff. Imagine sitting around with a group of people and your friends, your family, whatever, and going, did you hear that, right? Did you hear what he just said? A, such a light bulb moment for me. Or, dude, my leg was busted and now it's whole, right? Like, stuff like that. And they're sitting around and getting to build each other's faith because they didn't just get sent home afterwards. They were able to stay together that much longer to be able to just hang out and talk and, and share their testimonies to each other. It's awesome. And on top of that, they all would have seen that there was only, you know, seven pieces of food to start with, and somehow they all got fed that day, which that's a miracle in itself. But we also see um, examples of where Jesus ate at Simon the Pharisee's house, 
We see examples where he ate at Mary and Martha's, the chief priest's house, Simon the leper's house, and many, many more people. And these are just some of the recorded accounts we see of Jesus eating with people. The fact is, is that Jesus spent a lot of time eating. <laughs> he spent a lot of time hanging out with people and eating together. I also find it interesting that, you know, just as Jesus' ministry started with a wedding feast, it ended with the Last Supper with his closest disciples. And then after his resurrection, this one actually makes me laugh a little, is that when uh, he shows up on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, you know, there, guys are out fishing, there's seven disciples there, and Jesus is like, hey guys, throw it down on the other side, they do the whole thing, get a whole bunch of fish in, comes to shore, and what does Jesus say when they get to shore? Are you hungry? <laughs> Want some breakfast? <laughs> right? And... That, to me, it's, it's funny to me because, you know, a lot of us would be thinking that the first things out of Jesus' mouth would be, how's the mission going, right? Or, have you been following all of my commands? You think that Jesus would be right onto the, that kind of stuff, but he steps back and goes, how are my guys doing? Are you guys hungry? Let's sit around the fire and eat some food and just hang out for a bit here. That story is found in John 21, 1 to 23. But at the Last Supper, this is where we see communion happen for the first time. You know, this is where Jesus instructs his disciples to break bread together and drink wine together regularly in remembrance of him, which we're going to be participating in communion shortly. Um, and before we do that, I just want to make sure, does everyone have their communion? Did everyone get one? If you need one still, just slip your hand up and... Uh, We'll get someone to grab. Sabri's got them there. Sabri, could you bring it up here? Thank you. Just keep your hand up if you still need one, and Sabri will bring it to you. But we'll be doing that in just a little bit here. But Jesus did not only eat and drink with those that were his disciples. He ate with all sorts of people. He ate with common people and fishermen, scandalous tax collectors and sinners alike, in Jesus' day and age, the people you ate with was a statement of friendship. It was an affirmation of that person's value, their dignity, and their worth. When you ate with someone, it was saying that, I value you, you have dignity to me, and you're worth something to me. That's what eating together meant in Jesus' day. And seeing how Jesus modeled eating and the people he chose to eat with it causes me to examine how I'm living my life even. Where it's going, who am I eating with? Who, who have I been spending that time with around a meal? And it's causing me to even just think about, you know, is there people that I know in my life that I should be inviting to the table? Is my table big enough for people who would normally be the outcast, down and out people of our community? Do I have space at my table for that? Would I or would we welcome those with different beliefs, different lifestyles, and outlooks on life to eat with us? Would we do that? I think this is a really great question for us to ask because Jesus would. If someone walks through the doors of this building and doesn't have quite the right look on, will we accept them as they are a question and judge who they are? I believe Jesus would say, I saved you a spot right next to me. Come sit with me, right? 
Now, some of you may have noticed that I don't use the term fellowship very often, and even talking about things like the potluck and all that, I don't use the word fellowship. And I, I got two reasons for that. One of them is kind of just like my own personal preference reason, and the other one has maybe a little more meaning to it. But my first reason is, outside of the church, no one uses the word fellowship. So that's why I just don't use it that much, because I don't want to get in a habit of using words that don't mean anything to people outside of this building. So that's one reason I don't use the word fellowship. The second one, which has a little bit more meaning, is because of the actual meaning of the word fellowship. And it's friendly association, especially with people who shares one's interests. Fellowship is friendly association, especially with people who shares one's interests. Now, in the Christian context, this means coming together with those that share the same belief as me. That's what fellowship is. It's, I want to gather with my people. I want to gather with and spend time with the people that believe what I believe. But I want to challenge that a little bit. While Jesus did that with his disciples, you know, those that he was walking closely with and that were, were striving their best to follow him and believe what he believed, that is not how he modeled his ministry life. It just wasn't. When we do things like potlucks, youth group, or other gatherings, are our tables not only big enough, but open to all sorts of people to come and be a part? And that's, that's why I, won't, I don't use the word fellowship, because I want my table to be big enough to include the people that might not believe what I believe, because I want to start building relationship with them. And then my prayer is that they will start to see Jesus through me, and that will open up conversations and then maybe eventually they'll start to believe what I believe too. But that's the heart behind it is that we want to make space for people to be a part. You know, when we think about some of these things I just mentioned, you know, so some of our youth use vulgar language, right? They might swear and cuss and say all sorts of things they probably shouldn't. They're still welcome. This is where you should be. This is where they should be. You know, someone comes in high as a kite. You know, they just smoked a huge joint out in the parking lot, right? Come sit with me. I got a space for you. You know, if a person comes in full of fear and anxiety, do a past hurts or abuse. And these are usually the ones that are the hardest to see on people because they're hidden. Grab them a coffee and a treat and say, come sit with me. You know, in, our, in the church we came from, every single week, we'd have people coming that were drunk, people coming that were high, people coming that just shot up outside the doors, and it was the mission field. They're people that desperately need Jesus, and that's, that's what we want to see here. We want to model Jesus' life well as the church. I'm not saying we want to see people do drugs and stuff here. That's, don't get that wrong but we want to make space for everyone to experience who Jesus is. This is what Jesus was mauling for all of us, so much so that he was even accused of being a glutton and a drunk because he was around food so much. Jesus spent so much time around food that the religious leaders found him guilty by association, basically, right? But he was here for the people, Jesus' whole mission was towards the broken and the hurting, as he very plainly said to the Pharisees right after he called Matthew to follow him. 
And we're going to look at this passage. It's Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. But here we go. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and the disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, and this is Jesus, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go then and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I, I love how Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, then invites himself over for a meal. <laughs> right? Hey, follow me. I'm going to your house to eat. <laughs> right? But he didn't say, follow me and go through this course or start this discipleship program or take all these steps to become a follower of me. It was, follow me and let's go grab some food and let's build a relationship. But just as Jesus was sitting there amongst all the low life, the Pharisees questioned him. Now, in his response, he isn't saying that the Pharisees are righteous. Okay, when he says, um, for I came to call, not, the, not to call the righteous, but sinners, he wasn't saying that the Pharisees were actually righteous. But what he was saying is that he's come for those that know they're sinners. They know that they're in the wrong, but they want to change. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, the Pharisees were so caught up in following all the laws and conditions that they had forgotten the whole point of them was because God was for the people. God loves the people. That's why he had the law. But the Pharisees were so stuck on following out the law to a T that they forgot about the people it was there to uphold. They overlooked the people. So instead of sacrificing, trying to live up to an impossible standard, Jesus is saying to simply come and dine with him and be made whole in his mercy. You see, eating with people was central to Jesus, helping people find redemption and right relationship with God. He was saying, I see you. Every time he ate with someone, he was saying, I see you. You have value. Every time Jesus sat and ate with someone, he said, I you have dignity. You have worth. He was saying, no one is so down and out. No one is so far off point that I'm not willing to sit and eat with them because each person is worth it. Every single person is worth it. You have value, dignity, and worth. Even if you aren't currently living like it, or even if it doesn't feel like it, Jesus sees each person. Now, eating is common ground for all people. We all need to do it. I don't think anyone in this room would argue that. We all need to eat food. And the longer and longer I talk, the more that's going to become apparent, right? We're just going to get hungrier and hungrier. <laughs> but we all need food. But when we think about modeling the life and teachings of Jesus and sharing meals with other people regularly we can come up with some pretty convincing excuses and all of these excuses I have fallen into more times than I'd like to admit. But here's a few of excuses and some ways to conquer them, okay? And these are just really practical things. But excuse number one that we can come up with is, I don't like to have people in my home. <laughs> I've been there. 
lots of times, <laughs> where sometimes you're just exhausted, sometimes you know other things are happening, and it's like, I just don't want people over, plain and simple. No, maybe it's because you don't like to cook, or you can barely stomach eating your own meals because, let alone expect someone else to eat it, right? Like, it's like, I just can't cook, so I shouldn't have people over because I'm going to give someone food poisoning, and it's just going to be bad, right? Or is this supposed to be a good thing? Jesus is supposed to be in this, and Jesus is definitely not in my cooking, right? I've been there. I got, I've been getting better, by the way, just so you know. I'm not saying that I can cook amazing meals, but... I haven't killed my kids yet, so there's something. No, or it could be that you just don't feel good about how your house looks. You know, maybe you just feel like it's too messy or things just aren't how you think they should be for having people over. Or maybe you just don't have the space to accommodate guests well. Well, here's a couple of things that you can do to just work around those. If your space isn't the best place, then go somewhere else to eat, <laughs> right? Pick a restaurant, maybe someone else's house, do it. Jesus did. Just say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm coming over and we're going to eat, <laughs> right? Or if the weather's nice, maybe meet, meet up somewhere and just share a meal outside where, when the weather's nice. Or if it's the cooking that's just like the worst, pick up some pizzas or get Chinese food. Everyone likes Chinese food. And you can eat Chinese food like and eat again in 15 minutes because you're hungry again. But, you know, that's Chinese food. You know, pick up some pizzas, though. Simple food. doesn't have to be fancy. And on the same note, if it doesn't have to be fancy, you know, sometimes a bag of chips and some root beer go a long ways, right? Like, it'd just be that simple. Just like, hey, come over, hang out, and I got some snacks and treats, and we're just going to hang out. Just really simple. So that's excuse number one, is I don't like to have people in my home. Well, find ways around that. And we all know what our reasons are for not liking people in our own homes. Excuse two would be, I wouldn't know what to say, right? It's that awkward silence that no one looks forward to when you're, when you're hanging out with people. It's like the thing everyone dreads when, you know, everyone's not eating at the moment, but no one's saying anything, and you're all just kind of looking at each other and looking at your plate and then going, someone say something, please, <laughs> right? Well... I've got a really good way around that, and it goes right back to what Caitlin was talking about last week, is listen. Ask questions and let them do the talking. Really simple. You know, here's a list of conversation starters, and this might be, seem really trivial for some of us, but lots of us have this thing called social anxiety, where it's like being in a small space with other people and having to talk to them can be really stressful. So here's, I got some examples. I think they're going to be on the screen. But uh, number one is, where did you grow up? What kind of jobs have you had? You know, what do you do for fun? Where are your dreams for the future? You know, if they're married or dating, where did you meet, right? Just really simple opening questions can cause a lot of conversation to come out, and it helps us build relationship with the people we're spending time with so we can get to know them. It goes right back to listen. So if you need examples of that, you know, just Google or some conversation starters and just pre-read some of those before you hang out with people and it's going to help you. I mean, some of us haven't hung out with a lot of people since COVID flared up a few years ago and it's time for us to get back on the bandwagon and start spending time together. Or excuse number three, I don't have time. This is probably one of the ones that I've fallen victim to 
way more than any of the others. It's just I don't have time to hang out with people. I'm busy. I got things going on. You know, there's basketball. There's all kinds of stuff my kids are in, and then we've got things going on, and the church has things going. Like, can make that excuse a hundred times over. So I don't have time. And you know, many of us that have kids and stuff, you know, it can be hard enough sometimes to find time to sit down with our own families to eat together, let alone invite other people to the table. But here's the thing: is eating is already in all of our schedules. We're all doing it. And it's just figuring out how to rejig that a little bit so that it includes other people. On average, most of us eat 21 meals a week. You know, if you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or breakfast, dinner, and supper, some of you might say. I'm from the West Coast. We got lunch and dinner. Dinner is your supper. It's, I can't explain it. But that's my terminology. But most of us eat three meals a day, which translate as 21 meals a week. Maybe some eat more than that. So maybe some of us eat a little less than that, but on average, it's a 21. And all I'm suggesting is that we intentionally look at one or two of those meals every week and think, who can I share a meal with? You know, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a classmate, maybe it's your neighbor. But this goes back to week one. Begin with prayer and ask God who. Okay? Let's go to Jesus and say, who should I eat with this week? Who's that one person that I can spend some time with around a meal or just grabbing a bite or a coffee or whatever, and who can I do that with? And I'll be perfectly honest in this. This definitely takes effort. It doesn't just happen because if we just think, oh, I'll, I'll do that. That's no problem. Then two or three weeks go by and you realize you haven't actually eaten with anyone. But if all of us regularly, as in once a week, shared a meal with someone else, I believe we could change the world by eating. If we were actually intentional about spending time with people and eating with them and talking and just hanging out, we could change the world by eating. There's a challenge for you. <laughs> but this isn't just like some superficial thing, right? Where, you know, we see how Jesus mauled it and, you know, but he was Jesus and I don't see how eating food is really that beneficial to people, Right? Well, Harvard did a research study on families that eat together regularly, and this is what they found, and it's quite incredible. Regular family dinners are associated with lower rates of depression and anxiety and substance abuse and eating disorders and tobacco use and early teenage pregnancy and higher rates of resilience and higher self-esteem. So all of those things are better when we eat together as families. How much, how important is it that we spend a little bit of time eating with other people too? How much life can that bring to someone's life going, hey, I'll grab a meal with you. And you know, what does that do? It shows that you value them, shows that they have dignity to you, shows that they have worth to you, shows them that you see them, right? so important to spend time together. If we can have this kind of impact on our families, imagine the impact we can have on our community at large. And again, it's not what you have. No, but it's who you're having it with. That's the really important piece. It's not what you have to eat. It's what, who you're having it with. Craft dinner or grilled cheese is perfect, okay? I'll eat craft dinner any day, I'll be honest. Not easy, Mac, that's wrong. But craft dinner, yes. 
<laughs> grilled cheese and tomato soups, perfect. That's like what I grew up on. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be some five-course meal. It's just a simple, simple food, but it's making that space to be with people. And, you know, the awkward conversations part, if you don't know what to say next, just fill your mouth with food. And it's just, it's a magical way of, like, preventing the awkward silence while your brain's trying to figure out what to say next, right? <laughs> and it doesn't have to be sitting down for an actual meal, okay? So take some of that pressure off yourself, too. It doesn't have to be an actual meal. You know, here's some other ideas. Have marshmallows and hot dogs around a campfire. I love marshmallows. We were just talking about marshmallows before church today, ironically enough. Um, have a games night and include food. You know, some of us, we've been playing a game called Scum lately, which other people call President, but that sounds more boring, so we call it Scum. And it's just a fun game, but we almost always have food at the table at the same time. And it's just great building relationship with people. Go for coffee. I'm all for going for coffee. I love coffee. Coffee was something that was definitely in the Garden of Eden, and it made its way through the curse to us. <laughs> have lunch at the workplace and put the phone down, right? That's, these things are dangerous. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with my phone because they're super useful unless you're trying to get to know someone. Then they're the worst thing. You know, put the phone down and have a conversation with the person you're eating with. No, this is also, like, the fact that we have coffee and treats on Sunday mornings, it's not just because, you know, we want to try and buy people to come to our church. That has nothing to do with it. It's because Jesus modeled when we come together, there's food, and we spend time, and we eat, and we hang out, and we get to know each other, and it's, just, it's all part of it. And that's why we have coffee and treats before the service, and thank goodness there's usually some after the service, too, and we're all starving. But Jesus did life around food. That's the big point. Jesus did life around food, and we should too. And I believe that Jesus would say, good job for making out this morning. We're glad you came, glad you got some treats and snacks here. But make sure you show up for the people God has placed in your life and bless them with a meal as you go as well. Don't just take it for what's here, but make sure we take it into our communities and we look for those individuals that we can be a part of their lives even around the simplicity of sharing a meal. Now, there's a story that I want to share, and this isn't my story, but this is a story that went viral on Instagram several years ago, and it's titled A Thursday at McDonald's. So on a Thursday morning, a young African-American man named Eric, wearing baggy jeans and a flat-brimmed, I got a flat-brimmed hat, flat-brimmed Blackhawks hat, headed to his local McDonald's to eat breakfast by himself. Jan, a white-haired, 70-year-old grandmother, had the same idea. So both these two people head to McDonald's to get some breakfast. As they were both eating by themselves, Jan saw Eric eating there by himself. She approached him and said, could we enjoy our breakfast together? Total strangers. Somewhat stalled by her request, he reluctantly said, uh, sure. And with that, Jan grabbed her food tray and took it over to Eric's table. Eric pulled up a chair so she could sit down. The two of them sat together for 45 minutes, talking about church, art, Eric's young son. And Eric said Jan even shared some life wisdom with him. Remember, this is a young dad, and she's 70. She's been around the block a few more times than him. 
She mentioned many times how we should all love one another and how we should never judge anyone because you never know how someone's day is going and what they've been through, he said in an interview. And after they finished eating, they exchanged phone numbers and Eric walked Jan to her car. A simple meal shared with a stranger became a lasting blessing. There is power in eating together. When we take that extra time to look at the person that's in our life and say, I'm going to have a meal with that person this week, or I'm going to go for coffee with that person this week, it's so important that we do this regularly. So again, begin with prayer. Ask God to show you the people he wants you to be with and be intentional about it. Put it right into your phone or your calendar. I'm talking about phones again, but put it into your phone so it reminds you to eat with that person and then send an alarm in your phone to put your phone down, right? And then listen to them. Ask them questions. See what's going on in their life because that's when you get to start seeing how you can be a help in their life as well and start answering some of their life questions that they might have, right? Listen. Don't just hear them, but listen. <laughs> and then share a meal together. Place value on them. Show them that you care about them and that they have dignity, value, and worth to you. I'm going to ask everyone to stand, and we're going to pray together. I know that these are super simple, super practical um, messages right now. But sometimes we need those reminders that, no, yes, us and God is important, but God said, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. One was not greater than the other. He was asked what was the greatest commandment, and he gave those two things as one, to love God and to love people. And this whole series, that's what this is about. It's loving God, but taking what God is doing in our lives and translating that blessing into other people's lives and saying, I see you, I value you, Let's get some food. So as I pray today, I just, my heart is that we would start to see those people and come to mind that Jesus is saying, hey, that's someone worth grabbing a meal with. And that we would have the courage to, to sit through a meal together. <laughs> so why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for our church family, for people who are gathering together in your name, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that even as we look at your life, as we look at the life of Jesus, and we see how you modeled living, that we would be able to reflect you well in every aspect of our lives. And that even some of these simple practices that we're going over, Jesus, that they would just start to become part of the rhythms of our life, where it wouldn't just be something that we heard on a Sunday and we did once and we called it done, but it would start to become part of our weekly routine where we're seeking your face, we're praying, we're beginning with prayer. We are listening, um, not only to you, Jesus, but also to the people around us, to our community. And then we would take the time to eat with people, people that we might not normally eat with, people that might be down and out, people that might be um, outside of our normal circles, Jesus. But Lord, I pray that you would help us enlarge our tables, open a space, bring a chair over, and invite someone else to the table with us, Jesus. So God, I just pray that even as, as we're spending time together here, that you'd start dropping names of people into our minds, people that we should be intentional with, people that you are calling us to reach, Jesus, people that you are calling us to be your light to. 
And I pray that you would give us the courage to ask them to share a meal. In your name, amen. And before we go today, um, we're going to do communion in a song. But it's such a, an amazing picture that Jesus gave us that with a simple meal, you know, a cracker and some juice, that we can remember what Jesus did for each one of us. And it's the, it's, it's funny because, you know, Jesus said, take of this bread and eat, and this is my body, and drink of this wine, or in our case, this grape juice. And drink, and this is my blood poured out for you. And this simple act of food, when done with right hearts, reminds us that Jesus was for the people, that he cared about each one of us. He saw each one of us, saw the life we lived before, saw all our screw-ups, our mess-ups, and our sins, and paved a way for us to have right relationship with God the Father, paved the way for us to live in a redeemed life where we're no longer sinners, we're redeemed people, right? That's, that's the old life. Yeah, we still have mess-ups and bumps along the way, but Jesus has already forgiven us for those. But our heart is to walk out our lives like Jesus would walk in his life. In Matthew 26, 26 to 28, it says this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. It's pretty simple. Take and eat. This is my body. So as we eat these little pieces of bread together, let's remember Jesus' body that was broken for each of us um, as we eat them. Jesus took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you not just the chosen few all of you drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins drink of the juice as we remember his blood that was poured Jesus, we thank you that you see each one of us. We thank you that you poured out your life for us. We thank you for the gift of your word so that we can see how you lived your life and that we can model it well. Lord, we just pray that, you know, even as we do this act of communion together, that you would just be drawing out new things to us, Jesus, that we would be drawing closer and closer and closer to you, Lord. Invade our space, Jesus. Invade our lives. We thank you for communion. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for laying down your life so that we can have right relationship with you again. We thank you for your redeeming grace. Amen.
We're going to join together in a song, and as we do, let's just lift Jesus' name high.